we're good. That is good. Let's give the kids another round of applause. Didn't they do awesome? Oh, man. Well, there you go. There's your Christmas present. <laughs> Cuties. Well, as they're exiting, uh, let's just go ahead and, and start the, the sermon in prayer, and then we'll just get right into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for today. God, it is such a, it's so awesome to see these little ones uh, singing to you, Lord, and that we all, because truly we're all in this together, and it's just awesome to come uniting under your name, your son's name, and to know that there is hope, there is this joy, there is something more than this life that we get to look forward to. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that's Jesus. That, that's our light. That's who we look towards. And God, thank you for that hope. Lord, be with us now as we come to just to listen to your word and to listen to what kind of started this all. We pray this in your son's name, and, and we pray also, Lord, that uh, you convict us of our sins and that we can just remember that that's why you sent Jesus, to, to die for our sins that w- so that we don't have to be guilted by them or live in shame, but know that all that has been removed and truly we are forgiven in your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today's Christmas, the day that we get to celebrate the birth of our Savior on a Sunday No less. And what a great day it is, right? So in the spirit of Christmas, we're going to briefly go over the Christmas story. So today, our text is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And our title is The Wonders of Christmas. So let's look at our text and see what some of these glorious wonders are that we're going to celebrate and are celebrating today. And our first point of the wonders of Christmas is that it reveals... That God is always in control. So in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornarius was the governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And here we can see this powerful Caesar exercising his might to require all the people to be registered for our favorite thing, the purpose of taxation. Yes! And I'm sure in his mind, he was independently fulfilling his own purpose. He was accomplishing his own desires. But what we can see, he was actu- what he was actually doing was accomplishing the will of God as God's pawn. This Caesar, who was just doing his daily business, which would seemingly cause lots of hardships and lots of agitation for so many because they had to make their way back to the hometown to be registered for all this. This so-called king and ruler was actually just a tool to set up the stage for God to make this world a better place. And Caesar did not even realize it. In all of his wisdom, amongst all of his counsel, he could not see that what he was doing was issuing in a new age of God's divine plan for mankind that would forever change this world, flip it upside down, And Caesar could do nothing to stop it, even if he tried. He could only fulfill it. 
fulfill God's plan and fulfill God's purpose and fulfill God's will. Because why? Because God is in control. He is the one that's in control of this world. And what was the plan then, back then? What was God issuing back then through Caesar doing this? Well, it tells us in Luke in verses 4 and 5, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. It was to bring Joseph and Mary to the place where the true king of kings would be birthed. The decree made Joseph and Mary, who Mary, by the way, who was a virgin yet pregnant with our dear Lord and Savior, it made them travel for 90 miles to Bethlehem. And by the way, Mary was right at the end of her pregnancy when she was doing this. So I am quite sure that that trip was not easy. It was quite stressful, and I'm sure it was quite exhausting. But yet this great inconvenience, this why on earth would we have to do this now that I'm, I'm or how on earth is this going to work out, which I'm sure is the mindset that Mary and Joseph had, especially Mary. All of it was in the sovereign will of God and under his control. It was all part of his plan to fulfill the prophecy which God laid forth in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 which was said hundreds of years before. In Micah 5.2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be, the, be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days. And no sooner as they get there to Bethlehem, Luke reveals how close to full term Mary was. In this 90-mile trip, Luke says in verses 6 and 7, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Can you imagine in the rush of it all? I mean, who wouldn't in those moments probably be filled with the question of what is going on? I mean, they show up. And amongst all the chaos of just people being around and you being there to register and other people being there to register and going through it all, their plans get thrown to the wayside. For Mary goes into labor and there is no comfortable place for them to stay. The comfortable private room that was expected to at the end of this long, uncomfortable journey that was supposed to be there wasn't there. And I'm sure they thought, God, do you have any idea what you are doing? I'm sure that was mingling around in their heads because this is not part of the plan. Because Mary, right from the very beginning of her pregnancy, from the beginning, had been told that this child would be great, that he would be called the son of the Most High. And she was a virgin who miraculously conceived a child. And not just any child. For this was a newborn, the second person of the Trinity. This newborn was the second person of the Trinity. God the Son who stepped down from heaven to take on human nature, to be the God-man, truly God and truly man. I mean, this is something amazing. 
And yet, and yet, she had no throne room or even just a simple room. No, she had no soft bed to lay him in. This king of royalty. No, all they had was a lowly manger, which is a feeding trough for animals that they drool in as they eat. No place to place him in other than that. Over in some stable where animals were kept and did their disgusting biddings. I'm sure they were thinking in their brains, how can any of this be good? How can any of this be meaningful? If this child is supposed to be so great, why are they so alone in all of it? But God knew exactly what he was doing because he was with them and he was in control of all of it the whole time. Even if they could not see it in that moment, He was always at work, even though they could not see how it was even possible for God to do anything good of this. He was there and always there. See, God takes our weakness. He takes our unnoticed. He takes the unfancy. He takes the awkward, the uncomfortable, the non-spectacular, the common things in life, like common parents with an awkward awkward birth of a child in a stable, to be placed in an uncomfortable manger. He takes it all so that his greatness alone will shine forth powerfully. And what was that greatness? It was that this almighty, holy, all-powerful child could be seen as the true, humble king. The one whose beginnings was with true humility and was one who had the utmost approachability for all people as their king. For he was not locked away in some fancy inn where no one could come to him. No, he was born in a stable that was open to all, open to all to come to him and see this newborn king who was to be the humble servant of men. He came to this earth not as some high up untouchable king but one who was lowly and open handed to all to lift them up. That's our king. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake became poor so that by so that you by his poverty might become rich his very birth revealed his heart for the world of sinners for he came for all so all could come to him and this leads us to our second point of the wonders of christmas it reveals god's love for sinners it says in verses 8 through 13 And in the same region where the shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, Peace among those whom he is pleased. And what was shown here is that God's great announcement was given to no-name shepherds. Why does that matter? What significance would that reveal to shepherds? Who cares? Hmm. Well, shepherds during this time, during those times, were considered by the religious elite and others as lowlifes and untrustworthy. Losers. The type you don't hang out with on Christmas because you might not, your wallet may disappear. It was so bad for shepherds at that time that they could not even testify in court because they were so looked down upon as liars and losers and untrustworthy. They were true outcasts of society. And yet it was to them God came, sending his angels to proclaim to them the wondrous news of a Savior for them. Not that a Savior came, but had come for them. There was a personal love for them that was revealed by this child being born. He was a gift to them. Notice it says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That unto you, you would think that unto you would mean unto Mary and Joseph. He was born unto them. He's their child. I mean, when I had my kids, they were born unto me. Not any of you. They're not yours. They're mine. But not this child. Not Jesus. For he was born unto these shepherds and really unto the world. Why? Because God's love for sinners such as you and I. God loves sinners of all types, sinners of all backgrounds, with wretched sins so bad that we can't even mention or dare to think on, let alone that we like to admit that we have done. Yet God has an unconditional deep love for sinners and Christ is the proof. He sent him to establish peace between us and him through faith in what Christ did for us. For what started in a lowly manger will end on a lowly cross because of his great, amazing, unconditional, unfathomable that goes love for us, that goes beyond our understanding for us, this love for us, even when we had no love for him. For Christ came to this earth out of love for you and me. He died for our sins and he came back to life to give us restoration with God forever. All through faith in what he did. Christ is God's gift to us so we can only experience God's love and his favor and his blessing forever into eternity and be free from the power of sin and death in our life all through faith in him. For God gave Christ to the world God gave a gift to the world out of love for sinners. God loves sinners so much to say, here, I'm giving you my son to be your savior for all of you so you can be with me forever. That's my gift, me. Just trust in him. Then Luke says in verses 15 through 20, 
And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But uh, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all they heard and seen as. It hadn't been told them. And this leads us to our last point of the wonders of Christmas. It reveals Jesus is our true hope. See, by proclaiming the good news of the Savior coming into the world for these shepherds, they were giving something, they were given something, a gift that they never had before, something the world could never give, true hope. They were giving everlasting hope through this new child. It was the hope of Jesus then that moved them to see him in the manger. It was the hope of Jesus that brought life to these, to these shepherds' hearts to speak of the wonders that had been told to them by the angels, to Mary and to others. It was the hope of Jesus that changed their life from that point on to proclaim the good news to all, even those who thought lowly of them and despised them. For their life had been changed. They now had true meaning and purpose and security and peace and true rescue because they had true hope. For their new hope was built upon this child who is the Christ given unto them and unto us. For it mattered not what the world thought of them anymore. For now all that matters what God thought of them and he loved them and that was good enough. And that, my friends, is what makes Christmas so wonderful. Christmas reveals God, God's love for sinners. And this is what gives us hope, no matter what comes along in our life, no matter what we're going through. For we can rest by faith in Christ and live with true hope because we know that our God is the one who is over control of our life now. And He works it all for our good in Him, no matter what comes our way, no matter what people think of us, and no matter how much we mess up. And I'm good at messing up. For Christ came to live the life we could not live, a perfect, sinless life. He came and died the death that we deserve. He took all of our punishment for our sins, all of it upon himself. And then he came back to life to give us what we could never earn. Salvation, forgiveness, restoration, and peace with God. All through faith in him. For we have now Emmanuel, God with us through faith in Christ. And that's what makes Christmas so amazing. That's what Christmas is all about. Christ coming to save sinners, to forgive them of all of their sins, all out of love for them. He is our hope. Merry Christmas, church. Merry Christmas. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer as we sing to the Lord to close out the service. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonders and joy of Christmas. We don't deserve a season or a holiday such as this. God, I pray we never treat it as common and never see it as just another, another day. But it was the beginning of the revelation of how far, how deep, how far down you would reach to come after us. 
Even though we were doing our best to get away from you, you came running after us, and you're faster than we are. God, thank you for that. Bless us now as we sing. Bless us as we go home and celebrate Christmas, Lord. No matter maybe the heartaches, but give us that joy. Remind us of the joy, Lord. The joy of Christmas is that you love us. Help us find our joy in that and celebrate the greatest gift. It's your son for us to be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.